if you told American history as like a epic play, I feel like Lincoln being shot is like curtain goes down, intermission, go get some drinks. Um, but like some of the themes that we had been exploring to my memory was the conflict between like how powerful the government should be versus how powerful the states should be, which led to the civil war. Um, and the questions over slavery and like the future of, um, race in the country. Um, and I think the ongoing question of like, to what extent does it matter who the president is? And when I say that, I mean like, what does it matter? What kind of a person they are? Does it matter where they came from? And I think so far the way we've been talking about it to some extent is that like each of these people represents something about the time that they exist in. Um, and <clears throat> so that's like macro. Micro is that we have to remember that Abraham Lincoln, before he died, won a close election. Um, and in part, the message he was trying to send is we're going to bring the country back together. The union, whether, you know, I would save the union if it meant freeing all the slaves, freeing none of the slaves. Well, he ends up freeing all of the slaves. Well, actually, not technically all of the slaves, because there's the ones who are in the states that have remained loyal to the union. But he also manages uh, to pass the 13th Amendment, which then does free those slaves. And this is all possible because basically all of the Democrats in the country have left with the South. And there are no Democrats in the House. And there is only one Democrat in the Senate, this guy from Tennessee, who Abraham Lincoln chooses to be his vice president in this really close election, trying to send a message that he's going to be conciliatory in some ways, or that this is a, this is a new type of politics, which everybody thought was like kind of a nice gesture and didn't worry about it because the vice president doesn't get to do anything unless the president dies. And so the moment that we're picking up, like the moment after Lincoln is shot, is unbelievable in part because the guy who's about to be president is the last person anyone in the North would have expected to become president. Andrew Johnson is a really interesting figure. He is probably the least educated of the presidents. Um, his wife taught him to read when he was about 20 years old. So he spent most of his childhood illiterate. Um, and he did, he worked as a tailor. Um, and as a result, he, he's from Tennessee, and he has this kind of attitude towards the elites of the South, meaning like the plantation-owning slave owners that is kind of resentful. It's like a class resentment. Now, I, I've heard some historians suggest that he owned slaves at some point in his life, but he was never the guy like Jefferson or Washington whose whole life was built around making money through slavery. And I think it was that class resentment in part, as well as some sense of loyalty, but uh, that made him side with the Union when his state seceded. Um, and he kept going to Washington every day, even though, or going to Congress, even though, you know, his state was not technically part of the United States. Although Lincoln would say it was always part of the United States, it just was pretending that it left. Um, but the mismatch between this guy, who, despite all of the things I just, he has like a personal grievance towards like the plantation owners. Um, 
but he is still a Southern man who is not interested in like equal rights for black people. Um, and while he's willing to accept the end of slavery, he thinks that the main job of reconstruction, which is what this whole period we're about to talk about is called, um, is get the South back into the Union as quickly as possible and get things back to normal, right? Which is in contrast with the people who control the other branch of government that is going to decide reconstruction, which is Congress. And Congress is controlled almost exclusively by Republicans. Um, and they're often referred to at the time and now as the radical Republicans. Um, and what they were radical about, for the most part, was they wanted to punish the South for what they had done. And they also were... Uh, and they also wanted to demand equal rights for formerly enslaved people. Um, and this put them in direct conflict with the guy who's the new president, who, who the Republicans in Congress feel like, oh my gosh, this person's never supposed to have been president. Um, and so the story of Andrew Johnson's presidency is a story of conflict between him and, and the Republicans in Congress. So one of the areas of conflict between Congress and the president is over what do you do with former Confederate leaders? And Congress's answer is basically, um, if you were a high-level Confederate commander, you don't get to serve in Congress. Mm -hmm. um, and Johnson's answer is, if you take an oath of loyalty, then you're back. Mm -hmm. And so during this time period, um, a whole bunch of Southern powerful Southern people, including the former vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, show up. And there's a law in the books that says that um, they, have to, they have to take an oath and they still won't be allowed unless the president like pardons them. So they are lining up to go into Johnson's office. And Johnson takes a lot of personal glee in this. He would kind of make them beg because he was just enjoying like rubbing in the face of these people who had taken the other side in the war from him. Um, at the same time, he signed almost all of them. He let everyone, including the vice president um, of the Confederacy, reclaim their seats. And they all show up for the start of the new Congress. And there's this showdown where the Republicans in Congress say, no, 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 we're not going to allow you to be seated. You're not congressmen. We get to decide that. And they are ultimately turned away. Um, <clears throat> and uh, on the issue of the rights of formerly enslaved people, um, Johnson kind of dismantles what was called the Freedmen's Bureau, which had been created during the war to try to help out former uh, slaves. And so the Freedmen's Bureau helped provide education and jobs and um, land, which was broken up from the old plantations. Um, and this is where the famous phrase, 40 acres and a mule, comes from, that people were promised that they would get a small plot of land and something to plow with, and they could make a life for themselves. And Johnson doesn't view that as the future of the South landowning blacks. He um, dismantles the Freedmen's Bureau. And um, under Johnson, the view is they're going to go into sharecropping as some form of, basically a new form of slavery, where you're still indebted to often the same person who enslaved you. Um, and he opposes the passage of the 14th and 15th Amendments, which ultimately Congress does pass, which mandate equal rights and voting rights um, for black men. Um, 
And had Lincoln stayed alive, he would have passed that stuff no problem, right? Great question. I think I think the answer is yes. But Lincoln, you know, Johnson would say that Lincoln was very conciliatory. Look at who he chose for his vice president. And Lincoln's plan was called the ten percent plan. And Lincoln had said in the speech right before he died that if ten percent of the white inhabitants of the state pledged loyalty, then the state could come back and become a state again. And so in some ways, that's much more similar to Johnson than to what the Republicans in Congress wanted. And when the Republicans return in Congress, um, <clears throat> their plan is that the South is not even the South is not even going to return to states. Instead, they're going to divide it into five military districts, and it'll be under the control of the generals who have been down there since the uh, since the end of the war. And the war ends um, right as Lincoln is assassinated. And so Johnson hates this idea. And he goes on a tour of the, he, he decides, I'm going to convince the people of the country that this is wrong because there's a congressional election coming up. And so he goes on what's called the swing around the circle tour where he would go and, and this is how it kind of worked in those days. You would be on the back of a railroad car and you would give a speech in the town and then the railroad would keep going. Um, it was a huge disaster. People hated Andrew Johnson. They would boo him in many of the towns um, that he ended up in because he's mostly going through the North and he is just not preaching to the choir here. And so that tour actually ends up pushing people in many ways in the other direction. And it's a landslide victory for the, for the Republicans in 1866. So another thing that Johnson did was he, he tried to put people that he trusted into his cabinet because a lot of the people who Lincoln had chosen were, the kind of Republicans who opposed him. And so most notably, he tried to remove the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. And the Republicans at this point are like, we're trapped in some weird technicality. Yeah. Because up until a second ago, we had a Republican president and we had control of the whole Congress and we were going to be able to finally fix all of the stuff that's wrong with this country. And we just have to figure out a way around this. And the method they turn to is impeachment. And so, you know, the Constitution says if a president commits high crimes or misdemeanors, they can be removed from office and replaced with a vice president. Now, Johnson doesn't have a vice president, so um, it's going to go to the Speaker of the House, who is a Republican. So if they can get him out, great. Problem is they can't come up with a crime that he's committed. So they pass a law. <clears throat> so they pass a law called the Tenure of Office Act. And the Tenure of Office Act says you can't remove someone from your cabinet who hasn't filled out their term. Um, and they try to kind of retroactively apply this to the removal of Stanton. Um, actually, that's wrong. They, he's announced that he's going to remove Stanton, and then they basically dare him to remove Stanton with this law. And Johnson looks at this law and he says, this is not constitutional. The president has the power to choose the people who work in his cabinet. You have to approve the new choice, but I'm allowed to fire people from my cabinet whenever I want without your permission. Mm -hmm. And he thinks the Supreme Court will uphold this. And so he does fire Stanton. And Congress responds by saying, you violated this law, the Tenure of Office Act. Um, and therefore, oh. you can be impeached. Oh, OK. Right. The point is, like, everybody understands what's going on here. This is not, uh, you know, the, we've caught the president doing some corrupt crime. This is, we got to get rid of him, and we figured out a way to get rid of him. And um, the House does impeach him. 
Um, but the Senate has to convict for you to be removed from office. And so then there's this debate within the Senate that is like, are we really going to do this? And I think there's no, uh, there's not a lot of people who love Johnson and are trying to defend him, but there is a feeling as you know, you're probably having listening to it, which is like, once we start going down this road, then we're in a really bad situation where basically Congress is using its power to impeach to make itself the most powerful branch of government. And the check that's supposed to exist on that is in part just the idea that the Senate won't do it. Uh -huh. um, and the Supreme Court can say what they want, but at the end of the day, it comes to a vote. And um, there's a debate within the Republicans between the more and less radical, and um, ultimately he's saved by one vote. And there are different stories of who you should think of as the one person who voted John F. Kennedy in his book, Profiles of Courage, which someone else wrote for him, but uh, talks about this senator from Missouri who was convinced at the last minute to do it. Um, and I think in some ways it is a really courageous thing to do to leave in office a guy who sucks this much because you ultimately think that the process needs to be respected. Mm -hmm. um, but Johnson... Um, Wait, so it's anonymous which senator voted for what? No, it's not anonymous. It's just like, how do you count who's number 51? Oh. I guess it's like the last person to change their mind. But, you know, there's no... So we think it was this guy from Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think they go alphabetically, but it's not like the last person is the last one to decide. Like, they've right. all decided. Like a lot of people, yeah, were known. Yeah. Um, so Johnson is not going to be a powerful figure. And after the impeachment, he's saved. Um, but really Congress continues to run the show and he vetoes some things and Congress is able to override those vetoes. And so the story of the latter years of the Johnson administration are mostly the story of what we call congressional reconstruction and Congress, um, passes the 14th and 15th amendments. And, um, there's a period when because so many white Southerners have been disqualified on the basis of having, you know, committed um, rebellion or even treason by some measures against the United States, um, they're not able to vote or run for office. And also, there are certain states that and areas of states that now have these huge black populations that have been given the right to vote. And so actually during this period in the late 1860s, there are the first black um, senators and congressmen. And these are people, some of whom are kind of free blacks who are, you know, elites. Some of them moved from the north down to the south to try to help. But some of them are people who were enslaved. And now they're in Congress. And it's kind of an amazing moment. Um, but over the course of the next 10 years, the north basically abandons the project of protecting black people's rights in the south. And we'll talk a little bit about how that happens. Um, but the start of it is the rise of groups like the KKK. Um, and the KKK intimidates black voters and helps, you know, scare people, not only out of voting, but, you know, murders people um, who try to challenge what is the beginnings of what will be Jim Crow. He basically allowed the southern states the space they needed to start establishing both white supremacist governments, um, which he recognized, even if Congress later didn't recognize them, like they got organized during that time period. He got. Would they have been able to get organized under 
a different president? That's a good question. I, th- I, I think there's no question that having a president during a time period where Congress was out and, the, and Lincoln had just been killed, who was very sympathetic to the South, did damage to the cause of mm-hmm. um, a more vigorous Reconstruction. But the story of how Reconstruction ends isn't can't be laid at the feet of Johnson. And actually, many people have laid it at the feet of the guy who comes after him, um, who is... Ulysses S. Grant. And 